Welcome to In Search of Wisdom, a podcast by the Perennial Leader Project. On today's episode, my guest is Lighty Klotz, the author of Subtract, the Untapped Science of Less. Lighty has a PhD in architectural engineering and studies how we transform things from how they are to how we want them to be. In the conversation, Lighty and I discuss the science of less, the research on our tendency to add over subtracting, how this influences organizations and policy, habits and goals, wisdom in daily life, and much more. You can get links to resources discussed at perennialleader.com and subscribe to The Path, our free weekly email with three insights for daily life right to your inbox. Now, please welcome the wise and gracious Lighty Klotz. Lighty, welcome to In Search of Wisdom. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Joshua. I'm looking forward to this. I'm in search of wisdom myself. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm excited to to talk about your book, Subtract, The Untapped Science of Less. Uh, I'm fascinated with this, this topic. Um, in hindsight, I look back as a habitual adder, so, uh, so I'm excited to, to get into it. But to begin, I wanted to, to start with what led this curiosity around the science of less? How long have you been thinking about this before you started writing the book? I, I, when I look back, I, I've definitely just been thinking about it all my life. I mean, I, one of those stories I tell in the book is mowing lawns as my job in uh, in high school and college. And um, the, the whole time I'm mowing the lawns, I have all this time to think and ponder philosophical questions, I guess. <laughs> and one of those is like, why, why do these lawns exist when I'm the only person who goes on them, right? And so I don't know if that's an adding or a subtracting, but it's definitely uh, kind of pondering the world that we create and um, sometimes things don't seem to have be doing anything to make us any happier or uh, or may not be doing as much as something else could be doing to make us happy. Um, so I, I'd always been thinking about it in a very kind of unstructured way, as that example illustrates. Um, but it might thinking really crystallized in on subtracting when I was playing Legos with my son. And so I, he was three at the time and we were playing with his Duplo blocks, building a, a bridge um, or what, what, you know, he wanted to be a bridge. And the problem was the bridge wasn't level. So it was angled from one side to the other. And I went to fix this problem by uh, turning around behind me to add a block to the, to the shorter column. And by the time I had turned back around, he had removed a block from the longer column. And so what he did there was subtract, right? He had take, took this situation that he wanted to make better and made it better by taking something away from it. And that really helped narrow my thinking into this specific act of, of taking away because so often we get distracted by the, the end state of less, right? And But really what we're over, not really, one of the things we're overlooking is the path to getting there, which is taking away. Um, so the so the Lego story was really a turning point in my thinking about the topic. How about all the way back? I see you've got a PhD in architectural engineering, um, some you know over a decade ago now. But was that something that was 
maybe running in in the background during during that time yeah that's definitely uh <laughs> you're filling in the gap between the mowing grass and the, the lego <laughs> epiphany right seriously because i mean i i have this degree in architectural engineering but i also my undergraduate was in civil engineering i worked for about half a decade building schools in new jersey i mean i i've always been interested with in the built environment and how it can make our lives better um and when I did my PhD in architectural engineering, I started to get much more, uh, I started to learn more about how this built environment impacts our natural environment, right? So I've, I've always been interested in environmental issues and climate change. And I thought, okay, I'll just do that in addition to my work building things. And then I realized that while well, buildings use 40% of uh, our, or buildings account for 40% of our CO2 emissions. So there's tremendous opportunity to address these environmental issues through our built environment. And um, and a lot of the designs that do so, it was like, sure, solar panels are great and some of these new fancy technologies are great, but also, uh, you know, more efficiently using the space that we have is one of the best ways mm -hmm. to make our built environment uh, harm the natural environment less. So if you have a 50,000 square foot building and it's only being used eight hours a day, imagine what you can do if you use it 24 hours a day and then don't have uh, don't have to build two more buildings. Um, and I know that's an oversimplified example, but a lot of the most sustainable design options are things like, you know, rethinking how we use the buildings, reorienting the buildings, even taking out the uh, the really energy intensive mechanical systems and using natural modes of, of heating and, and ventilation, uh, the sun, for example. So, so yeah, that, that definitely played a part. And I was seeing, you know, one of the things with those designs that we don't use enough, I think, uh, is that they were, you know, it took some subtracting to get to them, right? You have to be smart enough to engineer the building in a certain way, but then you have to know that, oh, well, now we don't need this mechanical system or the way we've been doing it is a, a way that we can make better by, by taking some things away from it. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you made that connection because it's a really important one. And I think, you know, that, that for me is the, the social implication that drew me to the work, right? I'm not just somebody who sits around pondering how my son plays with Legos all the time. I'm fundamentally interested in this because it's, I see it as a way to, to make the world a better place. Well, I love it. And you've done, you know, your own research, which you've write about in the book, you've partners partnered with uh, some psychologists. And I was wondering if you could provide a little insider examples into some of the research that uh, that you've done on the topic. Sure, yeah, and uh, you know this builds from I, I, my interest in the built environment, and as my research career has evolved, uh, I've become more and more interested in how we make decisions about the world around us. How do we design this world around us? What's the psychology of that? And so I've dabbled into some of it with my own research, and then you know the really interesting stuff, I think, has been when I'm able to convince other, you know, people who are trained as psychology researchers to work with me. And this, uh, you know, the, the Lego example helped a ton with that because I've got this great collaborator, Gabe Adams, who's the a co-author on the, the main paper that this work produced. And um, 
I'd been talking to her about my interest in environmental issues and decision making for a long time. And she's like, yeah, you know, this is great, Lighty, very interesting. And then but it was like the untold, <laughs> the un, the unsaid thing there was like she didn't see how it was worth spending time doing research on. Uh, but I brought the an example of the Lego bridge to her. Once my son did that, I was carrying it around with me. I was testing it out on students. Everybody was adding like I did. And so I took it to Gabe's office the next time we met and I gave it to her. And she's a genius. Plus, I thought we'd been talking about subtraction all the or I thought we'd been talking about sustainable design and this idea. Um, in, in our other conversations and I gave it, so I thought she was going to subtract. I gave it to her. She added, but then after she added, I told her what Ezra did, my son. And, and she's like, Oh, Oh, so what you're talking about is why don't we add, or why don't we subtract to make things better? That's a super interesting research question. It's like, you know, I thought that's what I'd been talking about this whole time, but so it gave a really good uh, example. And, you know, she immediately saw the, um, saw the benefit of doing research in this area in a, in a much more basic way. And she recruited Ben Converse and Andy Hales, two of our, uh, our shared colleagues who are, are really good at this type of work. And then we, so we started doing uh, experiments. So, you know, I've been talking about the built environment and these real world examples. Now we're trying to do things in the laboratory to see if this is something fundamental about how humans make decisions, right? Do we systematically overlook subtraction as a way to make things better? Some of our first studies, you know, built from the, the Lego example. Um, I mean, so Ben's, one of Ben's ideas right from the start was just, well, let's just give people uh, a Lego structure and tell them to make it better and see what they do with it. And I think we gave that to 60 people and only one person took things away <laughs> to make it better. He's like, wow, this is the biggest bias ever. Of course, you know, these, we're not saying anything there about, you know, maybe adding the blocks is the better way to make Legos better, right? And of course, you can make a criticism of Legos that, well, the reason for this is because we're taught to add with Legos, right? You've grown up adding to Legos and, uh, and therefore it's not like something fundamental. It's just something that we've learned to do. Well, you, then you might ask, well, why have we learned to do that? But anyway, uh, so we did use some Legos, our Lego, uh, our Lego examples evolved to this more kind of, um, to try to create Lego examples where adding was actually the, the worst way to make this thing better. So there was one, for example, where we, uh, you had a, we had a stormtrooper action figure and, um, it was underneath a platform that was rickety. And the, the task was to stabilize the platform, uh, so that it could hold a masonry block, uh, without crushing the stormtrooper. And one way to stabilize the platform was to add eight Lego blocks, like, totally stabilize it. Another way was to remove one Lego block and drop the platform down a level, which still provided the support. So the subtractive option was clearly right when you thought of it. Um, so when people added, it was pretty strong evidence that it, they added because they didn't even think of subtraction. Now, again, this is a very narrow example. Um, uh, so we we did this in, in other paradigms too. I think the most convincing one. And so we've done it with travel itineraries, with um, 
with writing, with words and editing. Uh, I think the most convincing example from an experimental perspective is just these random grids we had on a computer screen. So we, we'd give people these grid patterns and tell them to make the grid patterns symmetrical and you could toggle, we gave them practice toggling the, the patterns so you could you know, add blocks to the grid patterns or subtract blocks from the grid patterns. And um, you had to make them symmetrical from left to right and from top to bottom. And in the preliminary patterns we gave people, we put extraneous marks in one of the, the corners. So they're basically symmetrical except for these extraneous marks. So one way to make the, to solve the, this grid problem is to add blocks to all four of the corners or to the three of the corners so that there's now these blocks um, matching each other. And the other way is to simply subtract blocks from one corner. And so if you tell people to do this in the fewest clicks possible and they add to three corners, again, this is evidence that we're not thinking of the, the subtractive option. And that's the, the new thing in our, that we found in our research is that people systematically overlook these subtractive changes. And the reason why is because our thought process is very similar to the one that happened to me when I was playing blocks Legos with my son, right? It's you. It's not that you can't think of subtracting. You're Hopefully you're more likely to think of it after listening to this podcast. But left to our own devices, our first instinct when trying to improve something is to think, okay, what can I add to this? And then if you add and move on, which is what I would have done playing Legos with my son, you may not even consider the subtractive option, which could be better. Um, and so, you know, there, there are all kinds of uh, reasons why we develop these decision-making shortcuts, and there are all kinds of decision-making shortcuts, and a lot of times they're they're helpful. I mean, it might be evolutionary advantageous for us to <laughs> to think of adding first, but knowing that we do it, we can kind of take steps to make sure that we consider subtraction as uh, as a way to solve problems. And I mean, I think it seems kind of trivial with these grids on a computer screen and, and Lego blocks and, and things like that. But fundamentally, what it shows is we're, we're overlooking this whole category of opportunities to make the world better, um, not just Lego structures, but our, our days and, you know, our ideas and, um, and the, and the world around us. So it's, a it's, a, it's, it's a situation that presents itself often in our lives. Well, I really appreciate you sharing some background on the, on the research. I think it's such an important thing. And I, I'm curious from an organizational standpoint, are there any organizations that that you've been able to work with. I, I think I heard you uh, mention an example in a previous interview about your university or any sort of organization, maybe a new leader yeah. coming and that there's this uh, soliciting ideas for new initiatives. I spent my adult life in the military, which involves a, a lot of movement, moving pieces. And in, in hindsight, there definitely can be a lot of adding things, adding things without taking something off. There's certainly organizational implications. I mean, we studied that in our experiments. We also did a naturalistic study of our, our university had their own strategic planning effort. Um, and the new president came in and asked for ideas and we got our hands on the data and 90% of the suggestions were things to add, which was a little bit surprising. Cause I mean, us professors are pretty good at saying like, Oh, we should get rid of administrators or, or whatever. But, um, 
So it certainly applies in these organizations. Uh, there's a great article, a great review of the book written recently on, on in War on the Rocks, um, which is a, a national security newsletter um, that that talks about this in the military. Um, there's uh, one of the classic, um, one of the cases I write about in the book actually, uh, and is, is often used in like business schools is this example of studying how military officers use their time. And, and one of the, one of the conclusions from it and the, the people, because all of these tasks that the military officers have to do, it's like, you know, spend two hours on this. They're very clearly delineated in how much time they take. The, the amount of tasks that the officers had to do, the, the time required was literally more than the time they had available in a given year. And, you know, it's it's comical, but it's also sad. I mean, you're you're what's happening is you're forcing these upstanding military officers who have gotten where they are by doing every single thing that's requested of them, you know, with the utmost integrity you're forcing them to cut corners, right? You're saying the choice is not whether to cut corners, it's which corners they're going to cut. Um, and so certainly this is an issue in the military. And I think it's, well, it, the military is not the only organization, of course, that, that this is an issue for. I mean, it's universities, the some of the management consulting companies that have, have reached out to me. I mean, there, there are a lot of uh, organizations that are, are struggling with this, especially now, I think, probably because of the pandemic and, um, you know, kind of creating so much change. It does seem like a lot of people and organizations are are overwhelmed. In in chapter two, you talk about the the biology behind it, this this need for for competence, which I'd love to hear a bit more about. But also, I think sometimes it, it feels like removing something. If you think from that organizational standpoint, we're going to stop doing this. Does it feel like waving the white flag or something, you know, that you're, you're quitting on, on, on something that, that obviously probably has maybe some sort of value, but something's got to give. And if we're adding things, you know, adding and removing. Again, you're doing a great job with the, the segues here and leading us through this because, you know, what the research described is we don't, we systematically overlook subtraction. And now what we're thinking about is, um, potentially reasons why we would systematically overlook it, but also reasons why even when we do think of it, you know, so Lydie comes and says, oh, we should subtract. Not, And I don't say we should subtract. I just say we should think about subtracting. And people say, well, we did. And this is why we decided not to. And that that competence is a, is a really big one. And, and so um, I don't know. I had always thought of competence as something that's kind of unique to humans where, you know, we, we just want to show that we're capable, but it turns out that this is something that's very fundamental. Um, the example I use in the book is, is bowerbirds building nests. And what happens is these, the male bowerbirds build these ceremonial nests and the female bowerbirds go around and look at the male's nests to see which ones, which male, and then decide which male to mate with based on which nest they like the most. And then the female goes and builds a nest to shelter the young. So the whole point of the nest that the, the male builds is just to display competence, to display that this male is 
uh, effective at interacting with the world. And it, it seems like, oh, this is just some silly ceremonial display, but actually it's showing that, you know, the male has genes that allow it to move sticks around, which is probably, you know, advantageous skill to have in your young if you want them to be able to find food and do other things that our birds need to do to survive and pass down their genes. Um, and then this this same notion of kind of physical competence, you know, displaying physical competence has been extended to to task completion. So one of the ways that we show we're competent or make ourselves feel competent is by successfully completing tasks. And I don't know about you, but for me, I mean, I feel a huge uh, it's really hard not to do these kind of marginally useful things, even though I'm. it's not like I'm watching TV instead, I'm doing something that's you know, of higher value, um, but you're you're not responding to every email, or you're not you know the in an, all of the department meetings, and it's really hard to to say no to those things. Um, and one reason why is because you know it's it's going against this natural desire we have to to display competence. Um, so so yeah, there's some like pretty deep seated evolutionary reasons why it can be hard to choose subtracting even when we do think about it. And another aspect that I think in in reference to the idea of not thinking of it is the chapter on sometimes subtracting takes longer. You give the example of, you know, whether it's writing something to to someone um or I, I, I think I get a tremendous amount of joy of uh, gathering up things and, and donating it or, you know, mm. decluttering and things like that. But it does it that takes time to do. Um, but, yeah, I wonder if you could say more about, you know, the idea of subtracting sometimes involving time. Yeah, I mean, involving time and effort and thought. Uh, and this is, uh, you know. I think one of the other reasons that we don't subtract very often is because we often kind of uh, don't distinguish between two different types of less. One type of less is just you haven't done anything, right? <laughs> and that's easy. And sometimes it's appropriate, right? Sometimes not doing anything at all is the most appropriate type. But to subtract in, in these examples that we're talking about often re requires that you have added first. Right. So by definition, to subtract from a piece of writing to make it better, you have to have written the, the thing and and then it's more work to, to take away. And, and often when you once you've written the thing, it's good enough or it's, you know, it's up, it's above, it's at a certain level. And then subtracting is this really hard additional work that you have to do to to make it even better. And not only is it additional work, but it's work that nobody's going to see by definition, right? <laughs> because you're, you're, these are words that are disappearing into the ether. No one's got to know that Joshua did it or the, you know, the two minutes that we, you edit out of this podcast, nobody's ever going to know that the time you took to do that is what made their listening experience better. I mean, maybe they'll know now, I guess, since we're saying it, but um, <laughs> that's, so that's the, the battle there, not the battle, but that's, that's an example of how, subtracting often takes more steps. So that's a, and I'll give one more example. I mean, because that's the writing and editing, that's very information focused, but even just from a built environment back to the kind of city scale focus, um, 
these are new opportunities, right? You have to have built the city to to take out a uh, to take out a highway that is now like in bisecting a neighborhood, for example. And this is something that's in the the infrastructure plan. Is how do we you know reevaluate some of the the things that we've built in the past? And when when nothing's built, that's not really a a question, right? It's like, okay, where do we need to put the stuff to move the people around most effectively? And so, so in, in fairness, some of these are new, new problems um, and, and new opportunities to take away. But in that, at that scale, it also indicates that, you know, all this adding work, we need to do more, even more work to, to take away. Um, and the, sorry, I got one more thing to say there, because it's a good time to bring up an important point is that one, you know, one reason why we might not subtract and is because you give people the benefit of the doubt who've come before you, right? If you don't understand the way a city works, you know, it's pretty, uh, pretty bold move to come in and say, hey, we should get rid of this highway without understanding how the how the city works, right? Because you figure, well, whoever built that highway did an analysis and figured out what was best for the city. And so it's it's a good behavior in general to give what's existing the benefit of the doubt, but that also works against taking things away as a, as a way to make it better. Is that an idea of, of maybe fear coming in or, you know, there's a lot of research around just change in general, kind of a resistance to it, but it, it reminds me of a, a funny quote that's, I think um, often attributed to Robert Frost of like, don't take down the fence until you know why it was, was put up. You know, you can right. start thinking yeah. of like, it's these fear type of things of maybe things that are coming up. Do you use any sort of research or, or info on, on navigating some of those maybe uh, emotions that, that might come up around subtracting? Yeah. Uh, there's, that's, there's also, I think the the fence thing. I think there's even like a philosopher who has a there's a like a paradigm or something about the about the fence. Um, you'll have to look it up and put it in the show notes. But um, yeah, uh, the I mean, there's also the research. Well, you, you mentioned the status quo. Let's start there. I mean, I think that's a really powerful one. And what we know now is that the status quo is adding, right? And so the two and so to, 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 to take away is breaking from the status quo, which we know is, is hard for any number of reasons. I mean, it, it requires cognitive effort um, that just uh, you're to do something different. And then it also requires, you know, kind of putting yourself out there. And if something goes wrong when you change from the status quo, it's because you changed from the status quo. When something goes wrong, when you keep the status quo, it's just because something went wrong. So you're you're running that risk. And that's I mean, that's a very a very real consideration. Um, the other one that people sometimes bring up when they hear about our research is uh, in the book is loss aversion. So this is Kahneman and Tversky's really famous and deservedly so finding that we basically are twice as disappointed to lose something as we are to gain something of the same value. And um, so loss aversion explains, you know, maybe why we're averse to risk sometimes when we're uh, making investing decisions or uh, um, but but loss aversion is fundamentally about losing something and what we're talking about here is trying to make things better and um, uh, the the reason that 
loss aversion can come into play here is if we just think of subtracting as a loss, like misrepresent subtracting as only a loss. I mean, certainly there are times when subtracting is a loss, but those aren't the cases that we're talking about in the in the in the book or in this conversation. What we're talking about is subtracting to make things better, in which case loss aversion shouldn't come into play unless we're unable to kind of separate subtraction from this notion of bad or losing things. Like when you, uh, you mentioned giving your stuff away. Uh, and I think that if you, if you view the loss of stuff as a, as a loss, um, then, then loss aversion can come into play and it's going to be more disappointing to lose that stuff than it was to get it in the first place. But since you're kind of shifting that framing around to like, Hey, I'm making my life situation better by giving away this extraneous stuff to people who can put it to better use um you're steering yourselves around that you know steering yourself away from potentially succumbing to loss aversion and therefore overweighting the the lost stuff does that make sense oh it definitely does and maybe that's okay, a good, good transition i wanted to touch on since we're obviously recording this around the new year and this mm. is a time when, when people might be thinking about setting goals for the upcoming year. Maybe you could give a little insight of, of how you think about this, how you're maybe influenced of uh, setting goals for the, for the future that could be helpful to the listeners. Yeah, that's a um, – it's hard for me still. I mean, I think of it more, obviously, because I wrote the book and did all this research and had to have this on, on top of mind. But I still have to force myself – try to force myself to think of it at the moment of making a decision. So when I go to do my to-do list, um, you know, typically I do it weekly, but then now is the kind of yearly uh, kind of step back and focus on – when I do that, I force myself to also think of stop doings. Um, and I think rather than prescribe specific things that everybody should stop doing, I think if we all think about, okay, what can I stop doing this year? How that will help me achieve these same goals that I have. Uh, that's gets us past this problem of, of overlooking subtraction as a way to make things better. Um, and so, so two things there. I mean, I think one is that, well, maybe it's just one thing that the, the need is to be able to help yourself think of subtraction at the moment of these important decisions. I think that the, you know, listening to this podcast will shift your perspective a little bit. Reading the book would shift it a little bit more. Um, but even after doing that, uh, you need to put in place these cues to yourself to think about subtracting in these important decisions in your lives. So for the new year's resolution, it would be, okay, now that you've listened to the podcast, when you, wherever you're writing down your resolution, make a note, Hey, also think of some subtractive resolutions and then you can think of them. You can choose them or not choose them, but at least you won't have overlooked the option entirely. Do you try to think of a, of a one for one lighty if it's your hour, you're adding and maybe an hour activity? Are you, you know, kind of a, a line down the middle, a, a, a column or not that strategic with it? 
No, that's a great question. So for my to do's and stop doings, I find it really hard to come up with as many stop doings as to do's. Uh, and sometimes I find myself reframing to do's as stop doing, right? So it's like, okay, I want to have better posture at work. And so I'll like frame it as stop slouching instead, <laughs> but, um, which isn't, you know, that's not really fair. Um, but uh, I mean, the house example is really pertinent. Now we've got the two young kids and it's like, it's just, every box that comes in, we need to be thinking of an equal amount of stuff going out of our house. Otherwise we're just fighting this endless battle. And um, so I think that one, and we try to do one for one. And then I've heard some really great examples. We haven't talked on about legislation yet, but obviously that's another area where like these rules in all areas of our lives just kind of continue to accumulate, whether it's the, at the federal level or at an organizational level. Um, and I learned of this example where British Columbia, when people brought a new piece of legislation, when the lawmaker brought the new piece of legislation, they also had to come with two examples of things that they wanted to take off the books. Uh, and I think that one's really good because, it, it you know, yeah. they actually started to create a downward <laughs> trajectory in the amount of, you know, outdated laws that they had on the books. Um, and so I would advocate if the problem is that we're we're overwhelmed or, or we've got too much that it's like kind of gunking up our system. Then we, it seems like we need to subtract even more than, than we're adding. And so I've given three examples, two of them, I'm not succeeding in that. One of them <laughs> is an example of how you might be able to su succeed in that. I want to ask a, a curiosity question mm. if I could around this, I think it connects with, Maybe the the competence thing, the need for for competence, self improvement yearly. We're thinking about self improvement, adding goals. Um, but there seems to be a, a lot of wisdom if you look back around, like the psychologist Carl Rogers um, said. the The curious paradox is that when I accept myself just as I am, then I can change. And kind of Carl Jung, this idea of of self acceptance maybe also with with self-improvement which is maybe something we don't think of around the new year we're thinking of self-improvement setting goals um you know where would you categorize maybe self-acceptance um you know would would that be a, a subtraction or a, any thoughts there my first reaction would be that it's kind of a a do not a do nothing but it's a staying neutral at least mm. right you're not immediately jumping to add something which i think is is very important and it's again i'm not people are like oh lady just wants people to subtract it's like no i just want us to have this option and i think if you look at the three kind of at the broadest level the three options are add something subtract something or kind of keep things as they are in the you know the self acceptance seems like a, a keep things as they are um maybe also uh, keeping it as it is, but also understanding it better, which I think is really important to subtracting. I mean, in the, one of the chapters in the books talks about subtracting in systems, uh, in, you know, the, the nature of systems, whether it's an organization or whether it's an environmental system is that there's often hidden parts that we don't fully understand how they work. Right. And, you know, if you look at yourself as a, as a system, before you can subtract or, or add to it, you should really understand what the heck it is you're dealing with. And 
you're not going to understand opportunity. Whereas you can add to a system without understanding the whole thing, you're not going to yeah. see all of the opportunities to subtract if you don't understand the whole system, right? So I think that you know maybe this self-acceptance is a first step to really understanding who you are, which might reveal things that you could could take away to make it better um, as a as a second step after this kind of basic understanding of who you are. How does that sound? Does that make sense? I, I love it. And I, I think what you're saying is subtracting is an option that you're maybe not thinking of. But um, I, I would imagine in obviously architecture, which is your primary background around this, but it's not doing anything is an option that, that could be valuable, especially until maybe it's explored further to really know you know, is this something to add to? Is this something to subtract? Um, but I just wonder in terms of around the new year, I think it could be an often forgotten option to to think about. And it's, it's a curious thing because there's a lot of wise people that have stressed the importance of uh, of that. But the, the final chapter, I really enjoyed this information to, to wisdom, which, which connects with the podcast here, In Search of Wisdom. You begin with a uh, a fairly popular quote from from Lao Tzu about you know gaining knowledge is adding things and to paraphrase wisdom subtracting things every day so not a not a new idea something obviously that's been around for thousands of years but as you've mentioned maybe difficult to to remember we have a tendency to to do the opposite and I wanted to ask you about wisdom so. There's a maybe a standard definition, and I'm going to ask for for uh, for you to provide a definition to wrap it up, kind of as well. But something that has come up in a number of times, this philosophical definition of wisdom, which is pretty straightforward: knowing what is good, knowing what is bad, and knowing what is indifferent. Based on that definition, how do you think this idea of of subtraction and understanding the science of less could maybe help us to to navigate? those those decisions first it provides a really nice filter right i mean so the the reason i like the lao tzu quote is you know one it's catchy and but two it it shows that this has been an issue for a really long time we often think about ourselves as like oh we're in this we are in a unique era right the information age and we've got all these sources of information that people didn't have but since people have been writing things down. They've been talking about how there's too much stuff to keep track of. And so there's always been this need to figure out, okay, what, what do you let in? What do you let out? How do you prioritize your thinking? Um, and so I think, you know, what is good, what is bad, what is indifferent is, is a really nice filter for, um, okay, what information am I going to, uh, allow in my head and also like how am i going to process the information that is coming in right so for example that that filter immediately says that my time spent looking at you know the daily mail and who ashley biden's walking around with in malibu is (laughs) is not contributing to um is not contributing to the definition of wisdom, right? So maybe it's entertaining or something, but if my goal is to be seeking wisdom, this is not contributing. Um, so I, I think it's a really nice, really nice filter for, you know, what, what information we let in. And then as we're processing, I think the other way subtraction comes into play with the, 
information is when we're processing what we've taken in, right? Because there's this whole additional step after we read something, after we listening to something is like, where does this fit in our mental frameworks? And, and one of the things that's really interesting, I thought was really interesting is just how hard it's basically impossible to get people to take stuff out of their mental frameworks. I mean, the science teachers have given up trying <laughs> working with these common misconceptions that people bring to the classroom and instead just say, okay, how do we work with these misconceptions? Um, and so, uh, so subtracting when it comes to that kind of, of learning helps us figure out which, which information that, that we're already thinking or we're already holding in high esteem, do we maybe need to kind of remove from our mental models or kind of rearrange in our mental models to fit around that definition of wisdom, if that's what people are seeking, which, you know, I'd, I'd advocate for. How about for somebody listening, looking for maybe just a simple, small, tiny step to start subtracting or, or, or integrating some of these, the concepts you write about anything come to mind? Adding those cues is really, uh, I mean, we talked about it a little bit. I'll be explicit about it here. So add cues to remind yourself to subtract at these important decision points. And so after you listen to this podcast, you can go, okay, I think about the times in your life when you're making decisions about how to make things better and put those reminders in place so that next time you make that decision, you can't overlook subtraction. So forcing myself to do stop doings is one of these things. I mean, maybe it's a, um, for, you know, a weekly house cleaning, or maybe every time an Amazon box comes into your house, you force yourself to <laughs> remove an equal volume of stuff from your house. The, the, uh, the legislation example is an example of that, but you could imagine doing that for rules in your personal life, right? If you say, okay, kids, we're going to have a, a new thing where after dinner you have to do this. It's like, well, let's reevaluate what the, some of the other rules are. And now that they have to do this, maybe we could take something away that they, they have to do. So putting in place those cues is, I think, really advantageous and, and beneficial. Um, yeah. And you said one, so I'll stop. <laughs> I, I love it. And I would love to even just uh, foot stomp and maybe add, especially for those organizational leaders that are yeah. listening, that are in charge of, uh, you know, other people when they're adding new initiatives and, and plans to just remember to think about what might come off the off the plate as well. One of the organizational ones. So uh, remembering that as as a leader who can make change, but also empowering your people to to do that, because that immediately yeah. gets you past this competence issue that we talked about. Right. If your boss is saying, oh, look at, you know, look at Joshua. He came up with this amazing new. And I know you don't have a boss, but it, it, imagine look at he came up with this amazing new subtraction. Then all of a sudden you're showing competence by taking away. People are thinking about it and you, you're past that yeah. barrier. So those people who are in charge of lots of people can think about it that way. I love it. And one final kind of wrap up question that we have Lighty is around wisdom, but from a very just kind of practical mundane daily life, how you might define or, or think about, um, wisdom today. Any, any thoughts you could share? The whole notion of 
knowing what you don't know is seems really important to, to wisdom to me. I mean, it's like the, I guess that starts with Socrates or, you know, first recorded with Socrates, but also as a, you know, being in this culture of research, I mean, the, it's just so obvious that we don't know a lot of things for certain, but in no, knowing what you don't know, it gives you places to, to look for things to learn more about. So of course we should try to close this gap and, you know, know more and know more, but also realize that there's things and, and be humble about the, the fact that we don't know a lot of things. Thank you so much for that. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to come on. Um, where do you point people interested in and uh, learning more about you and, and your work in the world? Uh, the book has all the best stuff about this. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm on a Twitter. Uh, I try to engage there, but I mean, I'm not saying anything more witty than than what's in the book. Um, and I, you know, I have a good Google name, so you can see what I'm up to with my my research and uh, and other things there. Uh, so yeah, those are the those are the best spots. All right, great. Well, Lighty Klotz, thank you so much for coming on In Search of Wisdom. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Joshua. I, I learned a lot, so this was a fun discussion. Thank you so much for listening. You can get the show notes and links to resources mentioned at perennialleader.com slash podcast. If you're interested in learning more, subscribe to The Path. It's our free weekly newsletter. These are short reflections on wisdom for everyday life right to your inbox. And lastly, I urge you to put what you heard into practice. Until next time, be wise and be well.